This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. In poetry, we reveal the deepest parts of our soul, the parts we tend not to express with others. And that is just what we are doing today in this episode. My name is Alex Willix-Payne. I use they, them pronouns. And this is Stride with Pride. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Stride with Pride. This week is a little bit different because I'm getting in queer voices from across the Waikato to read their poetry and talk a bit about what it means to them. If you want to get involved with future episodes of this, because I'm hoping to make this a series, please message me on Instagram at stride.with.pride. For now, please enjoy these wonderful poets and their amazing poetry. Take it away. This poem is On the Subject of Heteronormativity by Elliot Bastian. It's like relationships are products and the world is one big advertisement. People are rushing into stores to buy one, and even when they order one online that arrives broken, or buy one that's faulty, even though they're non-refundable, they keep going out to get new ones. They show them off to their friends, leave positive reviews, say they couldn't live without them, and recommend them to other people. They show up in every movie and TV show. You read about them in books, and all the popular songs mention them. They're all over social media, and people keep talking about how much they want one of their own. I see them everywhere, but I was never the product's target demographic. No matter how much everyone else talked about them, I don't feel the same pull they do. It's like there's a rumour about me going round, but I'm in the dark about it. Everyone else has already heard it and are constantly whispering amongst themselves. But whenever I'm nearby, they quickly change the subject. They keep looking at me and whispering, and I know that I'm missing something, because they're not subtle at all, but it's hard to overhear anything if they all shut up about it when I enter a room, and no one will explain, so I'm just getting more and more confused. Everyone but me is in on the secret. It's like everyone else received an invitation to an exclusive party, but I was left off the guest list. Everywhere I go, everyone's talking about what they're wearing, what they're buying as a gift, when to meet up to go shopping for a new outfit together, making plans to carpool. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there unable to give any input on any of the topics, unsure of whether or not I was excluded intentionally, and knowing that even if it was a mistake, it wouldn't matter, because you need to present an invitation to get in. Even when the party has passed, everyone's sharing pictures with each other, talking about their favourite part, who they met, the music that was played. They've got inside jokes that I don't understand. Just when I think the excitement has died down and the novelty worn off, when the conversations are no longer always about the party, everyone but me gets invited to another one. It's like everyone around me is neurotypical and I'm the only person who's neurodivergent. The whole world is built to make everyone accessible for everyone else, but my brain doesn't work the way theirs do, and I have to struggle through life in a society that was designed for people who operate like them. I struggle in school because the way everything is taught doesn't make sense to me, even though everyone else in my classes understands on the first try. People don't know what to think of me, because in a world where everyone's brains work the same way, and it's assumed that there are never any exceptions, 
People think that there's something wrong with me, or that I'm just making life difficult for myself on purpose. If I was just living in a world that was more accessible and accommodating of differences in the way people's brains work, I'd be able to get by perfectly well. But society sees no problems with the status quo, and so instead I'm an outsider looking in, not working the way everyone else does, confused by what they take for granted, and treated like I'm defective. It's like everyone has something they carry on their shoulders, but mine is heavier than everyone else's and I can't carry it like they do. Everyone feels something resting on their shoulders, and because everyone feels it, they assume that must just be what shoulders feel like. No one else seems to struggle to carry them, and so people are confused when I mention how heavy mine is and how much easier it is to walk and stand without it there. Everyone is expected to always have the weight, so when I have to leave mine at home because it's so heavy, people are confused by how straight I can stand and how fast I can move. Everyone else in the world is slowed down by the weight on their shoulders, and it makes them bend to support it. My movement is freer than other people's, but I'm constantly made aware of the fact that I don't have the same experiences of life that they do. When I go home at the end of the day, I see my heavy weight resting on the floor. Well, I may not carry it, it still exists, weighing down my thoughts instead. It's like everyone else operates on Apple software, but I was coded using Samsung. We have different codes and operating systems, and when I have a glitch in my system, no one knows how to fix it, because they've never seen code like, code like mine before. Everyone else gets all these cool updates and accessories, but I'm stuck with the same I've always had. When a new update comes out, it's all anyone can talk about, but I can't get it like other people can. I'm not, it's not compatible with my operating system. There are parts of life that aren't accessible to me and my software, but it's assumed that everyone has access to them, so I'm excluded. They think I'm faulty rather than just different. I work in a way unlike other people, and no one knows how to treat me when they find out I don't operate the same way they assumed everyone did. It's like everyone is a cake and there's a specific recipe they use that requires the exact same amount of ingredients for every single person, but I ended up as a different flavour from all the others. They forgot to add some small ingredient like chocolate chips, something that alters the texture and taste of a cake, but is ultimately trivial. Without them, the, a cake will still taste good, just different, but everyone else thinks that a cake needs chocolate chips to be good. They all have some little extra thing that I don't, and they don't even realize that all, not all cakes have chocolate chips, because they think in order to, un to taste good, a cake needs them, and so all cakes must be made with them. They all see me as a chocolate chip cake that's missing the chocolate chips, but in reality I'm just a different flavor entirely, whole and not lacking in any way. It's like everyone else spends all day drinking coffee, but I don't like it. They get a headache whenever they go too long without one, so they're either always drinking one or planning to get one. Even when all the coffee they drink means they're not sleeping well, or at all, they still talk about how much they love and need it to be happy. Meanwhile, I'm sleeping through the night and living without headaches, saving money that would have been spent on coffee. Other people are confused when I say I don't need coffee to live happily. It's like everyone else experiences romantic and sexual attraction, but I don't. Society is built around the idea that a happy life requires dating 
and marriage and sex and children, but those aren't things I want. People think that a fulfilling life means you retire at 65 after getting married in your 20s and having children, having graduated from your high school and university, finally ending up with your dream job, a good salary and a house. They think that without these things, you'll be unhappy and have to live with regrets. It's never even crossed most people's minds that not everyone ends up with that or even wants that. I have never had a crush on someone. Other people want a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a date mate, a joyfriend, a partner, a wife, a husband, a spouse. But I don't. Other people want to go on dates, to kiss people, to have sex, to get married, to have kids. But I don't. At least not the way they do. All of these expectations are placed on me by society, based on the assumption that they would align with my own life goals. They do not, and I do not want them. Aromanticism as a concept is not new, and neither is asexuality. Happiness is not reliant on whether or not you're in a relationship. I would like the world to kindly keep its heteronormative expectations to itself. Please and thank you. I did not ask for them. My life will be good, and I will be happy. I will get a lot of joy out of spiting society. Hi, I'm Elliot. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm non-binary, and evidently arrow I wrote this poem for school ironically enough it did not take long to write it took me like a day I wrote it because I was kind of a combination of lonely and annoyed at the world because the society we live in is very heteronormative and that is not fun. It makes for an interesting time growing up when you yourself are not heterosexual. And I've always sort of felt like everyone else knew this thing, experienced this thing that I didn't. And that makes your life different. So much of society and life is built around relationships, romantic, sexual, but when you don't experience those types of attraction, it's kind of weird because there's all this stuff going on and you can't relate to it. It's just sort of invading your space when it's not something you want there. I was kind of annoyed at society and also lonely because I'm queer. <laughs> so I wrote a poem which I'd never done before but I did it This poem is Real by Sean Bay How does it feel to exploit yourself every day? My body feels so overtaken by my contracts I've sold my soul yet I've never signed up I gotta do what I gotta do My head sinks back while I pick out my eyeliner it's best not to think about how I'm going to get through it. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. My apartment has paint peeling down the walls. I pick at it sometimes as I wait on the toilet. I'm told to be careful on how much I breathe in. The colors of my room have become dampened over time. Though the lustrous white has fallen from its glimmer, my skin still defers in shade. At least I don't have to pay. This isn't my home I'm staying in.
I must admit, I do enjoy living in a fantasy, being driven through a car every night, admiring the boys while the headlights blind me. That's really all I am, though, a deer caught in the middle of someone else's path. I always wanted to be the one who emitted light, illuminating the path for someone else. That's right, I wanted to be a star, shooting through the cosmos. Someone could wish upon me, and I could finally do something. Yet I'm so, yet I'm so starstruck that I'm closer to becoming roadkill than I am a star. What can I say? I'm better at being me to be rammed through the driver's seat. I just hope someone can poach me up again. Though I am often divulging in my clients' lives. I am going to be consumed nonetheless by those same individuals. I'm so frail, but it's instinctual. The labor of my fruit beckons some dignity, though I cannot serve everybody. So I'm forced to give out nectaries like pamphlets at the mall. My makeup is crooked. God, how can anyone want me if I'm not what I'm supposed to be? What am I supposed to be? Am I a deer? Am I a flower? I'm investing in capital hour to hour. Though the risks I take aren't enough to get better, I fool myself I'm not being pulled by a tether. Is this what a real person would do? Is this what a real person would see? Is delusion all that freedom means? I wish I was a real person, though I know that's not possible. Hi, my name is Sean Bay. My pronouns are he/him. I identify as a gay cis male. The insight I have when writing this poem was is that I am also a person of color who immigrated to New Zealand quite young, and when I did, we really didn't have anything, and we didn't we didn't really bring anything from my home country. So my poem was inspired by ContraPoints videos. Everyone, please check out ContraPoints. I love her. <laughs> So when I was writing this poem, I was thinking about the systematic racism and redlining, about how people of color have old houses with lead paint on the walls, how just being in that house will poison you, but it's still really expensive, and the people who would be staying in them, they're not going to be able to get out of their situation. And I wanted to capture the perspective of someone in poverty. And this individual, who I'm writing the, from the perspective of, has to solicit themselves to just get through it. And this whole poem is more like a criticism on the American dream and capitalism. And when I was writing this poem, I wanted to read it or like be read as a monologue and more like as a reflection in someone's mind, like exactly what they're thinking. I do also feel like there's a bit of a queer narrative to the story. How usually it's more queer people. Well, there's a lot of queer people who are homeless, and I kind of had this thing in mind where I was watching, um, I was watching this amazing anime movie about Christmas. It was called Tokyo Godfathers, where the the main character is trans, and her upbringing because she was always homeless was in a house with other trans people where they take care of her, and I kind of wanted to also capture that, almost imply it in this poem, almost like. How in America there were also there was also drag culture and ballroom culture where homeless queer people have to stay with kind of like a found family and taken care of by someone who 
isn't their biological parents, almost adopted. So I think the message to get out of the poem I was trying to write was that even though we do all have dreams and society is telling us to follow our dreams, really a lot of times it isn't attainable. And for a lot of people, it will never be for them. And I don't want to say that it's the individual's fault because it definitely isn't. We all have the right to, to follow what we want to do in life. I want us to question and critique the system we're living in and what we can do to make it better. This poem is called Closet by Lily Ashenden. You suspect it when you're eight years old. Just realizing that the word boyfriend doesn't just mean a boy who's your friend and that the people around you are talking of a future you find inconceivable. It's the first time the confusion really sets in. The first time you feel like maybe there's something you're missing, but you ignore it because you don't love girls. You suspect it when you're nine years old, being told that your future will revolve around your husband and desperately hiding how nauseous the thought of it makes you feel. You can feel the air leaving your lungs as the hands of society tighten around your neck. But you ignore it, because you don't love girls. You suspect it when you're ten years old, hearing a word for the first time that's supposed to mean something to you, but only in sneering asides and disgusted faces. When one joke hits too close to home, you can't resist lashing out, and the laughter that follows is cruel. But by now you've learnt to hide when a piece of your heart is breaking away. But you ignore it, because you don't love girls. You suspect it when you're 11 years old, talking with other girls about crushes and pretending you didn't just pick a boy at random to pretend to like, hoping that maybe friendship is just another word for romance because you don't want to face the fact that maybe you're just broken. Your friends are in on a secret you've missed, and you have to work to hide the utterly lost look in your eyes in every conversation. But you ignore it, because you don't love girls. You suspect it when you're 12 years old, breaking up with the boyfriend you asked out for the purpose of fitting in, not realizing that he accepted for the very same reason. You refuse to acknowledge your sense of relief being reflected. You refuse to acknowledge your sense of relief being reflected in his eyes, a fleeting moment of solidarity that neither of you will ever mention. He walks away, leaving you confused and alone, both of you too scared to stand up for each other. But you ignore it, because you don't love girls. You suspect it when you're 13 years old and suddenly connected to the rest of the world, you discover a whole community of people, passionate and proud, and you pretend that the aching and unexplainable familiarity is just, a sense of, is just a sense of empathy. Surely it's support and not a sense of connection that drives you to find out everything you can for, about that drives you to find out everything you can about them. For the first time, you want to fight for them, and though you don't realize it, you're learning to fight for yourself but you ignore it, because you don't love girls. You suspect it when you're 14, when the two girls kissing on a TV show makes you jealous, and the girl on the bus smiling makes you blush. You push it deep down, 
fear becoming overwhelming because you know the consequences of not being the perceived default. You've seen the headlines and the statistics. You know the laws. All you can do is pray. You try so hard to ignore it because you can't love girls. You don't want to love girls, but you think you might. You know it when you're 15. The small rainbow bracelet on your wrist reminding you of what courage means. There is hope in the hugs after whispered confessions and in the smiles of those you realise are just like you. You go on your first date and there's nothing fake about the butterflies in your stomach. For a brief moment, you can forget about everything the world has to say. For a brief moment, you can forget about everything the world has to say about people like you. And you don't have to hide behind jokes to be happy. You cut your hair short, and when you look in the mirror that night, you feel invincible. The day is yours, and you begin to think that maybe you could get used to loving girls. You know it when you're 16, refusing to lie to yourself or anyone else any longer. Relationships grow and change and sometimes end, but you're learning. Every day you research more about who you are and who you could become. There are days you have to remind yourself you're allowed to exist, but you're still here. There are times when your words freeze in your throat, but you keep smiling. There are people you have to look closely at to judge your safety, but there are those who love you. You're not perfect, but you're continuing. Despite what the world tells you, in spite of almost daily bad news, you have hope. Because really, you do love girls. You know it when you're 17 and ready to be who you are no matter the cost. You're learning it's okay to be scared and it doesn't have to stop you being brave. You're learning the importance of chosen family and understanding perspectives. You know that there's always going to be backlash and there are people you still have to face, but you find it doesn't bother you nearly as much as it used to. You hope to show those like you that you... You hope to show those like you that you could never have ignored it, and neither are they. Love feels like a form of rebellion, because now you know that no one can change who you are. You won't let them. Because of course you love girls. You've always loved girls. But the only girl you had any choice in loving was yourself. This poem is by Lily Ashenden, who uses she-her pronouns and identifies as a lesbian. She unfortunately couldn't be here today to record her own poem, but she did give me a little bit of a blurb as to what she wanted to say about it. She said, This is a story of my own character development, nine years of realizations and feelings and awkward moments and memories. It's a mosaic of my own experiences with heteronormativity and what it meant to realize that I existed independently of others' perceptions of who they thought I should be. This is a story of my own growth and I hope it can help someone else out there to learn what it means to love yourself as you figure out how you love others. This poem is To the Vermont Girl by Eli Dawson. To the Vermont Girl. Yearning is wrapped in Mexican blankets you kept in the backseat of your car, covered in dry leaves, green crumbs, dirt, all from when we were sitting at the reservoir at St. Pete's. We all drove together. You, me, and the broad-shouldered boy with the dreadlocks. Underneath overhanging tulip poplars, under the bridge that's rumored to be haunted, under the guise that our lives were so rigid and smothering. 
You told me to play in the hazards of love while he lit a cigarette. He and I didn't always agree, but I saw his energies. In watercolors erratically splattered, oranges and yellows set to dry on the windowsill, his anger, my wariness, formed an overturned paint set onto paper. We can all call it abstract art. My tired eyes weighed to close as the road twisted and turned beneath my feet. If I knew then what I know now, I would keep my eyes on the trees, memorize the way the bark recites ancient tombs to a deaf wind. You sat driving. You drove me everywhere. Your car named Sybil carried our youth through suburban forestry as we told our failings to each other's hearts. I observed you in painted ceramic, a vintage jar with fresh glaze, so many stories under a young coat. I sat a hodgepodge of everyone who'd ever made me listen without asking, carried humorous sewn by Saturday morning cartoons, empathy crafted from my father's instruction, and flightiness left over from hours at my Lego set. I observed myself as a coloring page, and despite trying, I never stayed within the lines. Hey, I'm Eli Dawson. I use he, they pronouns. I'm a non-binary trans male, and that was my poem to the Vermont girl. It's basically about me in high school. I was in high school in America. I lived in America most of my life. And it was kind of just about driving through the wilderness with my best friend and her boyfriend in the Pennsylvania suburbs and the sort of yearning I had for my friend back then. And my longing, because when I came to New Zealand, I never quite, I didn't quite fit in the same as I did back in America. So I had that yearning for my life back there. And so it's a lot about finding myself into that narrative of where I was. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Stride with Pride, a very special episode. Thank you so much to all the guests that I had on and their amazing poetry. Of course, for the creator spotlight this week, all of these wonderful creators are the spotlight. Links to these poems in word form will be available in the link in the bio of the Instagram for this show at stride.with.pride. And remember, if you want to be involved next time, please do give me a DM on my Instagram. And you can get involved and read your own poetry, or if you don't want to, I can read it for you. And it can be completely anonymous too. But for now, that is all for this week's episode of Stride with Pride. I hope you enjoyed all these wonderful, wonderful creators here. And I hope you have a good day, afternoon, or evening, whenever you're listening to this. You are a wonderful, amazing person. And you deserve to have a good life. Don't forget to spread your joy. See ya! For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.